Hello everyone, my name is Luke and it's a real honor and privilege for me this morning to be talking to you about restoring a house of worship. You know, over the last year or so, one of the main things that we've really missed in a church context is corporate worship, being able to gather together and sing praise and worship to Jesus. And you know, as a church, we've really felt like God's been speaking to us about worship, about redigging wells of worship. And we're so excited to press into what God has for us as a church. We're so looking forward to being able to meet together again in our buildings. And we can't wait for that to happen where we can gather together and worship Jesus. We're continuing this morning our series, Coming Home, which as you know is based out of the book of Ezra, which is the story of the Israelites returning from exile to rebuild the temple. And we'll begin by reading a couple of verses out of Ezra 2. Ezra 2, 68 and 70 says this, When they arrived at the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, some of the heads of the families gave freewill offerings towards the rebuilding of the house of God, that's the temple, on its site. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury for this work 61 derricks of gold, 5,000 minas of silver, and 100 priestly garments. The priests, the Levites, the musicians, the gatekeepers, and the temple servants settled in their own towns along with some of the other people, and the rest of the Israelites settled in their towns. You know, throughout history, the temple has played a massive role both in the church and in what's happening in society and the world. The temple was first built by Solomon. And we can read all about that in 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles. And we will dip into that story a little later. But this first temple was destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar when he took the Israelites into exile. And the second temple is this one that we read about in Ezra and Nehemiah. The second temple that as the Israelites return from exile, they begin to build. And in fact, Jesus himself would have walked in this second temple, although heavily refurbished, possibly even almost rebuilt by King Herod. And while the temple was famously built by Solomon for the first time, this idea of having a, a place for God's presence, a home for God, goes back even further in history to Moses and the Israelites as they were led out of Egypt towards the promised land. And you can read all about the tabernacle as it was called then. That was the precursor to the temple. All of the requirements for the tabernacle in Exodus 25 and onwards. We see the meticulous planning and detail that Moses and the Israelites were given. Now the tabernacle means residence or dwelling place. It was the place where the Israelites knew God lived, where his presence was. If you wanted to meet with God, that's where God was, in the temple, in the tabernacle, shall I say. It was made up of an outer courtyard and then the tent of meeting. Within the tent of meeting was the holy place, which had showbread and an altar of incense and candles the outer court was where the offerings would take place. But within the tent of meeting, behind a curtain, was this place known as the Holy of Holies. It 
was where the Ark of the Covenant was held. But the Holy of Holies was, in a sense, God's home on earth. God's presence lived within the Holy of Holies. Something that they would call the Shekinah, the dwelling glory of God within this Holy of Holies. And it was a limited place. A high priest once a year was allowed to enter into God's presence. And even then there was a number of processes and rituals and activities that needed to happen before he could do that. And we won't go into too much detail about the tabernacle. You can read all of that in in Exodus 25. But it is worth understanding and appreciating perhaps just what was required for God's presence to remain dwelling amongst his people. As mentioned, only certain people at certain times under specific circumstances could enter the Holy of Holies. Everything from robes the priests wore to to how offerings were done were all designed by God himself. Blood sacrifices were offered and required, especially for forgiveness and atonement. Bread, incense, the very finest materials, wood, linen, fabric, gold were required to make the tabernacle, and everything was done by the finest of the craftsmen. When it comes to worshipping in the tabernacle and the temple, there was no personal preference or agenda. It was God's way, God's agenda. The point that we can take from looking at this is that in order to house God's presence, an effort was required. There was a cost There were rituals and processes that were needed to be followed. Now at this point you might ask yourself, but why? Is God just really picky? Is he maybe a bit fussy? Perhaps even bordering on a little arrogant that he thinks he has to have everything be of the very best. No, no, that's not the case. See, God is a holy God. He is such a holy God that there are requirements that need to be met in order to allow to be allowed to enter into his presence. No darkness can enter into his presence. He is light itself. Darkness flees in his presence. Exodus 33 talks about how you cannot see God and live. If a high priest were to enter into the Holy of Holies on another day, he would instantly drop dead. If he didn't follow all the rituals and processes, he would drop dead. All of the requirements, all of the processes and rituals served a specific purpose. It was in order to allow the priest to purchase access. There was a price that needed to be paid and access was purchased through all these processes and rituals and requirements. Largely down, in fact, to sacrifices of animals, the shedding of innocent blood, God's wrath being appeased within the rituals, the processes and sacrifices made. The glory of God, his presence was something to be revered and honored and arguably even feared. There's two main points that we can take away from looking at this tabernacle at how the temple works. And that is one that God is holy. God is a holy God. And he requires us to be pure and holy. To enter into his presence. 
Secondly, God wanted to be present. He wanted his presence to be available to his people. The tabernacle was always set up in the middle of the camp, in the middle of the congregation. God requires us to be worthy of his presence. And God desires for us to know his presence. Dutch Sheets, who's a a fairly well-known intercessor and author, put it this way. Father God wants you, not some shallow religious loyalty. The affirmation of your praise and the admiration of your worship blesses him. Not because he needs affirmation or likes to hear how great he is, but because he wants to connect with you. The scriptures tell us he is seeking worshippers, not worship. That's John 4.23. Think about it. God isn't insecure, needing our praise in order to feel good about himself. Nor is he proud, needing worship to feed or satisfy his ego. It's the relationship he desires. Intimacy, family. When we worship, he is captivated by the singer, not the song. Our company is what he longs for. Enlightened worshippers know this. They also know that when we approach him, he responds and the pleasure of his company becomes our reward. Here we start to see this double-sided coin. God is after relationship, not religion. But also there is also a price to pay for this relationship. And this is where the gospel comes in. The main requirement in the Old Testament, in the tabernacle and in the temple, was the blood of an animal. God's wrath, that's his judgment of sin. In order for that to be satisfied, blood needed to be shed. And that model of sacrificing a lamb in the Old Testament is fully fulfilled in the New. When Jesus, the Lamb of God, pays a price for us on the cross, where his blood is shed forever, permanently purchasing access for us, that we are now able to enter in unrestricted into intimacy and relationship with God, the very desire of his heart for us to be present with him. We are now able to do that without the need for rituals and processes and specific robes. And also, any and every day, we now have access Thanks to Jesus, he paid the price for us. Matthew 27, 51 talks about how the veil that separated us was torn into the moment Jesus died. We have access into the Holy of Holies, into the Father's glory and presence. Hebrews 10, 19 says this, And now we are brothers and sisters in God's family. Because of the blood of Jesus. And he welcomes us to come into the most holy sanctuary in the heavenly realm. Boldly and without hesitation. For he has dedicated a new life-giving way for us to approach God. For just as the veil was torn in two, Jesus' body was torn open to give us fresh, to, to give us free and fresh access to him. What incredible news we have access to a relationship with God the Father. We have access to his presence, to his glory, and Jesus paid the price for us. There's no more requirement for us. No ritual or process needs to be followed.
But this is where the tension lies. Because while all that is absolutely true, God is still a holy God. You know, growing up in church, especially as a teenager trying desperately to be cool, I was sometimes asked, if you were going to visit the king or the queen, the president, how much effort would you put in? Would you shower and brush your hair and smell nice and wear good clothes? Be early. And if so, how much more effort should we put into coming before the king of kings? I still believe this is a relevant question. And at times perhaps a forgotten thought. As the saying goes, familiarity breeds contempt. We can become too familiar with God. Yes, absolutely. He is our friend. God himself tells us to call him Abba, which in our culture or context would be the equivalent of Daddy. He doesn't demand that we grovel to come to him. But he is still king. He is still worthy of honor. He is still worthy of effort. He is still worthy of the very best that we have to offer. Our verse from Ezra says, They gave free will offerings towards the rebuilding of the house of God. And that verse is actually a, a mirrors a scripture in Exodus, talking about the building of the tabernacle. In Exodus 25, 1 and 2, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. And there is that word, offering, again. There is a giving to God that is required to build a home for His presence. If we want to see His presence dwell among us, there is an offering that we need to give. Now the good news is we don't need to build a physical temple. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says this, Have you forgotten that your body is now a sacred temple of the, ho of the Spirit of Holiness, who lives in you? You don't belong to yourself any longer, for the gift of God, the Holy Spirit, lives inside your sanctuary. You were God's expensive purchase, paid for with tears of blood. So by all means then, use your body to bring glory to God. So we are the temple, both individually and as the church, corporately. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. And that does potentially start a whole new conversation about health and fitness and how we look after our bodies and how we present our bodies. Perhaps even big issues such as abortion or just simply how we treat one another, knowing that we are temples, that we carry the Holy Spirit within us. We won't go into any of those topics, but it does again flip the coin slightly back from Jesus loves me just as I am. There's grace. Jesus paid it all for me. And it, carry, it turns it back over to, I carry the presence of the holy God of the universe. The King of Kings. And that is a, an incredible honor 
it's also an, an incredible responsibility. So we've spoken about the temple, how God's presence required effort and sacrifice, how Jesus fulfilled that requirement, allowing us to access the Father and making us temples of the Holy Spirit. So let's look at worship and the presence of God. The book of Revelation give us, gives us a look at the throne room. What's it like being in God's presence? Just how linked worship and His presence are. I'm going to read three sections from Revelation. First, Revelation 4, 8 to 11. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures gave glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. In Revelation 7, 10 and 12, it says, And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And finally, Revelations 15, 2-4 says, And I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name. They held harps given them by God and sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations, who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name. For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. In every sense of the word, God is awesome, awe-inspiring. His presence provokes our worship. It provokes the worship of the angels, of every creature in heaven. When they come into his presence, the response is to worship. So what is worship? As I often do, I like to start in the dictionary. What does our English word worship actually mean? The definition is the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for a deity. Throughout the Bible, a few different words can be used to describe worship. Words such as to bow down, lie prostrate, pay reverence to, exalt, serve and sacrifice. The root word of some of these even being fear. So those three scriptures 
from Revelation and the descriptions just mentioned show us just what a right and worthy reaction to God's presence is. I think perhaps for some of us we have forgotten just who it is we are coming to worship. Now I don't want to come across as saying that we all need to be somber and wearing three-piece suits and acting like we've been baptized in lemon juice. His presence also results in praise. So what then is praise? Well, a bit of a combined definition is this. To express warm approval or admiration of or one's respect and gratitude towards a deity, especially in song, as an act of worship. David was known as a worshipper. He loved the presence of God. In fact, it was his dream to build a home for God, which was the blueprint which Solomon, his son, used to build the temple was in fact David's. So while David never got to build a temple, he did bring the Ark of the Covenant, the, the sign of God's presence. He did bring that back to Jerusalem. And this was spoken about by Steve a couple of weeks ago. And you can find it in 2 Samuel 6.14. It says, Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and with the sound of trumpets. I love the way the message version puts this verse. It says, David celebrating extravagantly all the way with frequent sacrifices of choice bulls. David, ceremonially dressed in priest's linen, danced with great abandon before God. We see praise in God's presence. We actually see both at the dedication of the first temple. Solomon's temple is complete and as he dedicates it to God, as he invites his presence to come, in 2 Chronicles 7, 1 to 3, it says, When Solomon finished praying, Fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good. His love endures forever. We see the reverence, the honoring of God's presence. The people worshiping, lying down, lying prostrate, bowing, paying reverence. But shortly after this in verse 8 it says, So Solomon observed the festival at that time for seven days, and all Israel with him, a vast assembly of people from Lebohamath and the Wadi of Egypt, on the eighth day they had an assembly, for they had celebrated the dedication of the altar for seven days, and the festival for seven days more. On the twenty-third day of the seventh month, he sent the people to their homes, listen, joyful and glad in heart, for the good things the Lord had done for David and Solomon and for his people Israel. God's presence is something worth celebrating. There is joy in his presence. 
In fact, there is a biblical model for entering into his presence. Remember the tabernacle and the temple were surrounded by fencing or gates or walls. Psalm 100 verse 4 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. I love the way the Passion Translation puts this. It says, you can pass through his open gates with the password of praise. Come right into his presence with thanksgiving. Come, bring your thank offering to him and affectionately bless his beautiful name. Yes, Jesus was called the Lamb of God. He was also called the Lion of Judah. And Judah means thanksgiving, praise. In fact, when you think about it, one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. There isn't a fruit of reverence or holy fear. When we gather together again, it is so important that we come together and celebrate. That we come with praise and thanksgiving for all that He's done. But equally, understanding who it is that we are coming to a holy God. Very quickly, I want to have a look at the power of praise and worship. There is a real blessing, a real anointing on worshiping God. As we've seen from the verses in Revelation, God loves worship. He is surrounded by worship. His presence comes when there is worship. And when His presence comes, things change. A great example of this is Saul and David. We see Saul being tormented in his mind by an oppressive spirit. He's disturbed and disrupted. And it says, when the Spirit from, when the spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul and he would feel better and the evil spirit would leave him. I want to encourage you, if you're perhaps struggling with just the weight of worry and stresses of the day, where you feel like in your mind you're battling to lift your eyes above the clouds, I want to encourage you, worship. Put on some music that honors God, that worships God. Bring an atmosphere of His praise, an atmosphere of His presence into your circumstances. In the same way, if you're feeling perhaps chained in bondage, in jail, we see Paul and Silas in jail. In Acts 16, 25 and 26, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Worship. There is power in worship. There's power in praising God and inviting His presence. There is and should be no selfish endeavor in worship. There is a beautiful picture from a story well known. In fact, Steve spoke about it a few weeks ago as well. The woman with the alabaster jar. It's in both Matthew and Mark. But Luke tells the story this way. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. 
Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. This was a completely selfless act, a moment of pure worship. Jesus would have left this moment with an aroma smelling like perfume. But the beauty of spending time in God's presence as we offer our worship to him is that she, this woman with the alabaster jar, she would have left there having encountered Jesus with the same aroma, carrying the same smell as Jesus. They would know Jesus smells like this. This woman has been in his presence. She smells the same. And you know, that's what we're called to do, to go into the world, to carry a fragrance and an aroma of Christ to people in our work, to other situations. And we get that by spending time in his presence, by worshiping him. So restoring a house of worship is a two-sided coin. There is a cost and offering required. Yes, Jesus paid the price through his blood. He purchased access for us. But we still come knowing who it is we are worshipping. Offering our best. Offering our all. There is a song by a band called Gable Price and Friends called Underdressed. The song talks about what Jesus did for us, sanctifying us, making a way for us to become sons and daughters of the Father. And part of the song, there is a bridge that for me speaks about how we are welcomed into this relationship with Christ, while also understanding that of ourselves, we are so unworthy of his presence. The words are, I am feasting with the king who left his throne for me enthroned upon my praises and clothed in majesty. He is holy and I am underdressed. I am feasting with the king who left his throne for me. There is such joy and celebration. We get to feast with him, to spend time in his presence. We have access to the father. We can know his presence and have intimate relationship with the God of the universe and enthroned upon my praises and clothed in majesty. He is holy and I am underdressed. He is king of kings. He is righteous. He is just. And the only proper response is to worship him. And like the beasts and the elders and the angels cry, holy, holy, holy. I want to end by expressing what is really my heart's desire. 1 Kings 8.10, talking about the dedication of the first temple. And it came to pass when the priests came out of the holy place, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. May we know and see soon the day when the presence of God so fills our heart, so fills this building, our north side to Kingsworthy Primary School, that we can no longer simply continue ministering, simply continue with our agenda, that God's glory and presence will be manifest among us, that the buildings would shake like the upper room this Sunday, 
Is Pentecost Sunday, the day the Holy Spirit was poured out and the upper room shook with His presence? That the curtains of our heart, our mindsets, our traditions would be torn in two. That our religion would go out the window. That we would stand before God in awe. That we would abandon ourselves with praise and dancing with all our might. That we would know, understand, have a fresh revelation of who He is. That we can say with such joy, I am feasting with the King who left His throne for me. He is enthroned upon our praises and He is robed in majesty. God, You are so holy even though I am underdressed. Today there is an opportunity and an invitation even. To come and to join the feast. Jesus gave us access. He paid a price for you and me to know his presence. We don't have to wait. Yes, there is such expectation and blessing upon meeting together corporately. But even now today, we can worship and be in his presence. In our homes, in our families. We are invited to know and to worship a king who is above all and worthy of our praise, worthy of our worship and worthy of our effort and very best. As we finish this morning, Matt and Phoebe are going to sing a song about inviting the Holy Spirit to come and fill us afresh. As I mentioned previously, today is Pentecost, the day the Holy Spirit was poured out for the first time. I want to encourage you, respond this morning. Invite the Holy Spirit to come in a fresh and a new way. Invite the presence of God to come into your home this morning as we worship Him.